0: From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. I am Scott Armstrong, and I have several other servants completely worthless around me. First of all, Dario but is he not- is the
2: head worthless, just <laughs> yeah. like Paul is the yeah. chief sinner.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I am the most worthless. Uh, if there is something below having no worth, that's me. <laughs> to the left, and you've heard her encouraging comments already, Emily Armstrong. Hey, everyone. To her left, Natalie Franco. Hi, guys. To my right, Dario Richards. Hello. And we are going to dedicate the rest of this episode to something we call story time. Now, we are a podcast that deals with missions and culture and healthy church. And uh, many moons ago, Natalie said, Why don't we just tell stories? We have so many good stories. And I have to admit, sometimes when we turn off, the, the, when we're not recording and, and the mics aren't on, like some stories come out there like we should tell that on the on the podcast. <laughs> so this is our chance and uh, we're gonna do that. I think. Now it's kind of an awkward transition because I think I'm starting with me on this one. I think so. Yeah. So I will start with this first one, but then we'll get... This one is not very serious, so I'm just going to... do Surprise! I, I, I've, I've been given a heads up that the other three are going to be a little more substantial, and, and, uh, and, but, but this one is not. Some have known that a few episode, episodes ago, we talked about the fact that as a family, as the Armstrongs, we went to Paris over Holy week. And in April, we were able to be there. We went in great part, Dario, you love you. You you will (laughs) love this. Uh, There were many reasons. I mean, obviously each one of us, there are four of us in the family had certain things that we were prioritizing. For some, it was food. For some, it was art. For some, it was, well, for me, it was everything, especially food, but it was also for my son and I, it was football. Good. It was football. It was soccer, if you're in, from the United States. So it was It was. He says, no, you're, you're, but we're not. So, um, so we decided we would go to two games. Now, the first game that I'm going to talk to you about is not really a long story or anything. It's just that we were able to see Lionel Messi. We were able to see... Uh, Neymar and some of you that are listening right now are just like, I have no clue who you were talking about. <laughs> but the rest of the world does know, okay? The rest of the world does know. Mm-hmm. And for us, that was important. We always wanted to at least be able to say, we saw Messi play, right? And so we were able to do that, that. He plays for Paris Saint-Germain. We thought that this, literally we changed the destination of this trip from Barcelona, where we thought he was going to be playing two years ago when we were planning this trip, to Paris, where now he plays but it ended up being a good a good a good trip so that was amazing very expensive very well done amazing the story that i want to tell you is when we went to a third division football game (laughs) this is the red star is what it's called red star we looked on how to get tickets online there was supposedly a way there was no way there was no possible way for us to we registered with their their fan page. We registered all this other stuff. There was no possible way. Okay, no problem. We're gonna get there early. We got there early, and you just felt we, we you know, we had been going around Paris and we had been on the metro and we had been walking and we had we, we at this. We're tourists. We're pretty good. Uh, this took us to a sex- section of the city we had not been to yet. Uh, this took us to a section where uh, Sydney, our daughter, 17 years old, grabbed my arm a little tighter. Uh, I as- told
2: both the kids to put their backpacks on their front instead yes. of on their back. <laughs> as, as we
1: were walking, um, like literally, I won't share all that we saw, but you could tell this is not the center of the city this is not this is not exactly the tourist uh, park so we we end up getting to red star and they were out of tickets through through an amazing uh, miracle honestly there was someone that was just like but but we know how to get you some tickets and I was like do I ask questions? <laughs> and, 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 and the lady was like, no, just, just don't tell anyone. Okay. And I was like, we're in for free, you know? And it was, like, and we literally did not have to pay, which will come in important, come to be important later. And so we went in, they checked. Of course we had small backpacks. So they're just leafing through. They're just, piling through. Okay. Make sure you don't have anything and make sure you don't bring anything in. Okay. You're good. You're good to go. So we got there and they're playing and and like the 15th minute, about the 15th minute, all of a sudden fireworks go off and there are people that are throwing flares onto the field. And so there's smoke bombs and there's just that, that, Part of the, the 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 section of the stadium, small stadium, it's a third division, right? Uh, it's just filled with smoke, and we're, I'm just like, this is awesome. You know, like, and I'm just like, what is going on? And they're chanting, all of the supporters are chanting, and you know all this stuff. And uh, and I just was like, this is why we came. This is so wonderful, you know. And uh, meanwhile, uh, Emily and Sydney, uh, our daughter, they're just like, I'm not comfortable with this. This is so weird so anyway I was like this is so great they they cleared it off and they start to play again Dario they played again <laughs> good that's good that was a fun story that we would have for all time minute 19 literally only 4 minutes later more flares <laughs> hey, and they start chanting and you know there's people and you can hear everything and there's more flares and so all of a sudden, the ref says we're going. We're going. We're not going to, to have this game. They, they were, uh, uh, the coaches, the the players were pleading with them. They came over to the fans. No more flares. No. More flares. So, so they went off the field. No announcement or anything for forty five minutes. We're just sitting there, and we're like, I think they're going to still play, but we're not sure. No one's announcing anything. And the other thing was that they. So after this had happened, they come back on the pitch and they're warming up, but they start the clock again while they're warming up. And I thought, well, they're going to correct that later. No, no. Those 16 or 17 minutes were just lost to history, right? So there's just 16 or 17 minutes of warming up that just are, okay, we're just going to that. Didn't happen. Right. And so immediately blow the whistle. Oh man, red star. It looks like they're about to score a goal more flares come out onto the field and it's just at that time it is no longer just this is a fun story this is hilarious this is it's like how could you as your own fans be basically they had to forfeit three to zero how could you do this now the funny part is that we came back, and we're just like, now at night, had to go on the metro, had to walk through that that part of the city, and we're just, you know, okay, well, we kind of saw a game, but we kind of didn't. I don't know what we just saw. And um, and, and we got back to the hotel in a, a decent part of the town, and uh, the guy said, where have you guys been? And I told him, oh, we went to see the Red Star game. He goes, Red Star? Those are the worst fans in all of France. <laughs> (laughs) And he said, why would you ever go to that part of the city? And we were like, now, now it seems kind of understandable uh, but wish we would have you would have told us that beforehand
2: but when Scott came upstairs like I had gone upstairs and he stayed to talk to the guy it's the guy that owned the hotel and um, when Scott came back upstairs I was like you were downstairs for a long time like he was down there talking to him for like 10 minutes maybe 10 or 15 minutes and he said yeah I was telling him what happened and I said well what did he say and he goes well what he said was why do you go to the Red Stars game oh, <laughs> he has. was like so angry that Scott went to the Red Stars game. Like, you're a tourist in Paris. Why do you go to Red Stars? Why would you do
1: something so insane? And I was like, because I'm me. Uh, So I I like traveling because I haven't had a lot of new travel stories during COVID, but now I have a few more from our time in France. So we're going to transition from that. And uh, I have talked a lot now on this episode, uh, both introducing and then telling that story. And we're going to go to Dario, would you kind of tell us a little bit, just a story that, you know, maybe something that's a little more serious or God has done or something that's cultural or, or whatever God has put on your heart?
0: Yeah. I could tell you this story about when I felt called to missions. I shared a bit about this, you know, on my first episode when the episode was focused on me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Never again. Yeah. Only once.
0: <laughs> his wife's yeah. his wife Linda's favorite episode so far. <laughs> I was. Yeah. So. You know, my first mission trip, we were preaching, we had this youth crusade, and a good friend of mine just came, you know, to say, man, there's a team from Barbados going to Haiti, you should go. And I said, sure, you know, it was not all Divine calling, sense of spirit leading me, just had a good friend that I trusted, they made a recommendation, and they said, okay. Um, the whole process of getting there was a miracle, you know, but then. My faith was a bit more zealous than it is now (laughs) And just how God provided the air fear, you know Lo and behold, I'm in Haiti, you know, my first mission trip And I have the most amazing time, you know Um, Functioning in different ministries This was right before the earthquake, but after the hurricanes Mm. So there was some damage on houses that we contributed to rebuilding, fixing, you know, doing crusades, etc Serving in the communities, being around the people and just having this great sense of community and seeing how even in the midst of poverty, there's a there's a sense of community and Haiti that, you know, like I had never experienced before anywhere else in the world. And, you know, this time of ministry is just phenomenal. And we're coming on to the end of the trip. And, you know, at the end, after the days of ministry, you want to do something like something relaxing, we decided... Uh, that we were going to go to these waterfalls. And I think they they call Le Bleu or Le Bleu, some Mm -hmm. waterfalls, right? So we get two, you know, in Haiti, they drive the tap-taps, the open-back truck with the seats in them. And we get two of those, and on one truck, there are about 19, there are 21 of us in all is in this truck. Two sitting inside, 19 on the back, and then 19 on the back. You know, they're both Haitians and Barbadians. The full Barbadian team, Bijan team, and a couple Haitians. And we decide we're going to drive to these waterfalls. So we drive through the rivers. And we're driving, and the people in the river, they're looking at us. And we're singing, you know, and all the good songs we learn. And, you know, the people are saying stuff to us. And we we thinking they're like, you know, oh, tourists, clearly you're foreign, you know, singing how you're going up. Um, we would eventually learn that's not what they were saying, right? So we're driving and obviously to get to the waterfall, you have to go up a bit. So we're like driving, going up this mountain. But the, the road is moral. So, you know, it's not a paved road anymore. And, you know, sometimes when you're driving a manual vehicle, you know, it goes up. Sometimes you run back to catch the gear. So I'm standing right behind the cab and I can see the wheels of the, of the truck. So he goes up. The first... Tap, tap goes up. It goes around. So it doesn't look like a threat, but I know we notice we are on a mountain now. You know, this is, yeah, a That's mountain. It's serious. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're standing in the back and of And I'm standing in the back on top of the seat. So oh, wow. because there are too many of us in the back you can't to pit. sit. Everybody has to, to sit. Everybody has to stand. And he runs back and I notice that the wheel locks and the truck is sliding. And the last thing I remember saying is, guys, I think this is going over. <laughs> That's the last thing I remember saying. And then within seconds, we are dumped 15 feet into a ravine. The truck turns over and it's just because oh how wow. the mountain was shaped, the truck is stuck between the two mountains. So it doesn't drop completely on top of us. But it gets low enough that you can't even crawl. Out. I had a shuffle, like shuffle my body from out under the truck because... The the bar had stopped like a few more okay. inches and everybody's crushed under the truck. Wow. Uh, persons are thrown into the, like, we call it like a crevice, like into like almost a gully area. And all 19 of us dumped 15 feet down the truck comes down. And, you know, I remember I landed. <laughs> I remember. And then I, I landed, obviously, closed my eyes. And there's this moment of wondering if you're dead. But then I hear this screaming. Oh, well, if I'm dead, I shouldn't hear this type of screaming. <laughs> and it's like, open one. On <laughs> oh, you're alive. Oh, you should get from under here. You know, <laughs> A shuffle from under the truck. You know, you come out and everybody's screaming. And you're wondering what is going on. Like, What in the world just happened? You're between trying to recover from. Mm-hmm. You just drove off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Coupled with crowd that is gathering, screaming that's happening around and, you know, trying to gather everybody. I had one friend who, because of the accident, her muscles, all of her muscles muscles spasmed so she couldn't move. Wow. And half of her body was stuck under the truck and the other half, so I had to go down and get, pull her out and then get her lifted out. Wow. And, you know, it's just pandemonium, you know. And eventually all of us um, get, all the persons who were injured in some way i i landed on my side and somebody landed on me so I, my hip was swollen so you could feel the stiffness somebody people were bleeding persons mouths and lips were swollen because they landed head first into yeah. the you know into the to the ground and you know at that moment you're trying to in the midst of the chaos you out know, if everybody's alive who's dead you know if you know, what's happening, you know? But eventually the other tap tap bitch which got up, came back, collected all of us who were injured in any way, the entire team, and we go to the to the hospital. <laughs> this is it. And I'm laughing. All right. We get to the hospital, everybody um and I mean the hospital in Haiti is an experience in and of itself because <laughs> In the room where the doctor is tending, persons who heard about the accident is coming and it's like a walk-through site visit or walk yeah. back out, you know. And the rest of the team who, who didn't need immediate medical, you know, attention, we stopped, there were some benches in the hospital and we just stopped there to pray, you know, because by then we realized, okay, everybody's still alive, you know, nobody's dead. And we stopped there to pray. And remember, as soon as I, 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 I knelt, I just felt this sense of I want you to do this for the rest of your life. <laughs> I was like, do what you know, like <laughs> Could fall you off a of cliff, <laughs> you know. Like I just felt this sense of, despite this tragedy, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like, like this is where, like I am in the right place. Like God mm. wants me to be here, you know. So is is there that I felt this call to give my life to missions, to give my life to serving? Across cultural context mm. in the midst of that tragedy. Hmm. Wow. And, you know, by the end of the report, we learned that the people who were shouting at us on the way up, they were actually warning us not to drive up there mm. because mm. other, you know, people have passed and made it, yeah. but then there were others who fell off. Wow. And the miracle was that when the UN heard of the accident, they came to the site with body bags, because everybody who ever got into an accident there before, they died. So nobody died in our accident yeah. and it became like this national, you know, on our way to the airport because by now everybody's bandaged, you know, everybody has who got caught on their head and, you know, we got to the airport and the Haitians are aware of who we are, you know, the Christians who fell off the cliff and survived, you know. (laughs) Um So, yeah, and that, that is the story of how I felt called to missions in the midst of that tragedy. And, yeah, and, and it reminded me because when I, when there were so many of us when we first communicated we were going to Haiti, our parents, some parents were against it. You know, I remember um, my my mother, she said to me, the name of the country is Hate He. Hate He. Why would you go to Hate He? <laughs> and I was like, no, moms, it's a country with people, you know, we're going. So now in my mind, I'm thinking we're going back to, you know, just family members who... Warned us or, And if I told you, know, you so You know They're mm-hmm. gonna have this You know This bad perception Already of Haiti And you mm. know the Demons And you know OB etc And So we're going back With that thinking And I'm I'm thinking You know They probably would never Let us go on a mission trip again But the next year I was back in Haiti It's mm. 2009 I went back On a mission trip we went back to the same site. This time, I walked all the way, <laughs> all the way to the waterfall. This time, wow. and and that is the story of my initiation mm. into missions wow. and just serving. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. We're
1: glad you are called and and yeah. have followed that call. <laughs> yeah. Thank you and praise the Lord for His protection. Yeah. yeah. Well, Natalie, it is very tough to follow oh, that, wow. <laughs> uh, but I know you have kind of given me a little hint of what you're going to talk about, and I know that God has, has certainly been speaking to you about something, too.
3: Yes. Well, my story, it's about a long, long time ago ago uh, when I first started to serve with the work and witness teams. Um, so I was I really wanted to get involved. My English was so bad at that time, and I was helping with... Translations.
2: I don't know. How. She's using air quotes when she says translation. Yeah. For those of you that can't see her,
3: I was just trying to translate word by word. But I, I really wanted to be there because I really like. I love that dynamic, and I had a lot of questions by that time. Like. How are they coming from the States to pay to come and work? Like, they're taking their vacations. They pay to come to the Dominican Republic to serve others, to work.
1: And you were pretty young, right? I yeah, mean, I
3: was like 15 yeah. years old, something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was like, too many questions. And I, I I wanted to know the answers. So that's why I was, I was only in. And even though my English was so <laughs> bad, I wanted to be there. Um, and I remember I was serving that first time with a medical team, and there was one doctor called John Miller. He's a physical therapist. So what I was doing, it was really easy to, to teach others what the doctor was saying. But the thing is, when I was with him, I was asking him all these questions, like, why? Why? Like, are you guys crazy? You are investing money to come to vacation. I don't know. And he was telling me that time, and I will never forget that. He was saying, not only I hope that during this week, because we serve one week with those teams, I hope during this week you got opens up your eyes. So you will able to see him the way we see him when we are serving and you are able to see what he is doing. Like in, we will like to be in the places that God is showing up like this huge way. Um, so I was like, okay, uh, okay. I'm going to try to understand what you just said, but I'll just keep serving. Um, in a couple of days, after what he said to me, um, we we went to Rancho Arriba, Ocoa. This is in a mountain, not the one like the waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that one. Uh, we, we went up to that mountain, and we were doing the same thing with um, people from Bonao. And one of the first things that uh, the team does in the place is pray. So it is not only giving medical attention, but also we pray for them first before giving that attention. And there is a team for that. So we pray for the place, and then the team, like when everybody's coming in, they pray for each one. And I remember I was with John Miller, and we were hearing like a noise. Someone was jumping. Someone was praising the Lord, singing, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm able to see that person. I remember I saw her when she came in. She was blind mm-hmm. from one of, of her eyes. Mm-hmm. She It was completely white, her eye. It was cloudy. And they started to pray for her, and she believed. And they were able to see how the cloud moved little wow. by little and she was able to see and just, she couldn't believe well she believed because she was healed <laughs> but she started to praise the Lord and jump and singing hallelujah through all the place and everybody was just clapping because we knew that Jesus made the miracle right in that place okay. and it was beautiful for me it changed the way I was praying because after I had too many questions after that situation then I went to the the prayer team, and I was asking them what she just did. <laughs> You're like, this is the,
1: where the real stuff is going
3: on. <laughs> yes. Like, what was happening? I, I just saw her. I remember she didn't have that. Now I'm seeing she doesn't have anything. <laughs> what she just did. <laughs> and they were saying, we didn't do anything. The only thing we did was um, we asked God to open up the heaven, uh, let his glory comes to this place, and if his, his will to heal and he does it. This is the way he works. And after that, um, I'm just, every time I'm praying for uh, someone to be healed, I'm like, God, I know who you are. Mm. I know you did it yeah. that time, I saw you. Yeah. So please open up the heaven, let your glory come mm. and do your work because I know you can do it. Mm. Yeah. So my prayer have changed a lot, my faith a lot as well. And this is my story.
1: Yes, it's good. It's good. I love, I love that the prayer was before any medical attention, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and, and it's like, Hey, this, the real thing is God. It's not it is. the expertise or the medicine, you know, of anybody. And so, uh, that was proven that day. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Emily, do you have a story for us?
2: I do have a story. Um, when we were first, I would still say rookie missionaries. I think it was pretty early in our missionary career. We were um, trying to get going and become very common, what now is super common called Maximum Mission. and But in the early days, it was not common. Not everybody knew what it was. And there were many times that we would receive a team, Scott and Emily Armstrong would receive a team from somewhere and say, let's go do a Maximum Mission somewhere so that our people here in Guatemala, we started in Guatemala, uh, can literally start having missionary opportunities.
1: So, that's just like a three to five day trip where we could combine cultures and go out and impact a a community.
2: Yeah. So, we uh, had young kids at the time, and we were going to receive a university team from the United States. And so, we knew a couple people from Guatemala City that were starting to experience a call to mission or they wanted to know what it would be like and so we invited them to come with us and scott started working with a pastor that was in ojo del agua which was in the um state i think is what they call it in in guatemala the department of san marcos and it was about eight hours outside of guatemala city so it was a decent drive that we had to drive out there and when scott first started talking with the pastor we had no idea what we were going to get involved with. I think Mm -hmm. nowadays, Maximum Mission, um, typically like the social service part of it that we do is like painting a school or cleaning up a park or uh, planting trees. And that's really what we thought we would be doing. However, we knew there would be a little bit of a different aspect to it because the community where the Church of the Nazarene was had literally just gone through a hurricane setting and they were on the side of the mountain and there was a huge landslide Mm -hmm. and they had lost about a hundred people in their community because of the landslide. So the pastor said, this is the environment that we're working in. And Scott literally just said, well, what is it that the church can help you do? And he goes, we need to build a bridge. And Scott, (laughs) Scott, I remember he came back to me and he goes, well, the pastor wants us to build a bridge. (laughs) We're
1: literally. I was like, is that metaphorical? Because we can do that.
2: (laughs) We're receiving a team from the United States that are college students. They're not even like constructors and builders like normal work and witness teams. You might have a few. We're like, we don't know what we're going to do. But Scott is a man of great faith that like if God connects him to a need or a problem then there is something that he's going to be able to do to make that happen, right? So we were like thinking, what are we going to do? And he finally told the pastor, if you can get the community leaders on board with supplying some men from the community and helping us with some materials, then we can bring some people to help. We had no clue what it would look like, but they needed to be able to spearhead at least the structure side of it, right? Like, we don't know what we're doing to build a bridge. So we got there. And we saw that what they needed was like a footbridge. So that made us feel just a little bit better. But at the same time, it was hard work. Mm -hmm. It was such hard work. There were, I remember still telling somebody, there were boulders in place where the mudslide had brought them down off the mountain that were about the size of the suburban that we had driven, right? Uh And a suburban is a large car, a large SUV. Mm -hmm. They had no bulldozer there. They had no like nothing. The way that we were and it wasn't boulders that size. We saw boulders that size, but we had to move like, I would say boulders the size of about a 10 year old child. Like that's about how tall they were and how wide they were. They would literally just put ropes around them. And with the brute strength of the men of that community, they would be pulling them out of the ditch where the bridge needed to be put on top of it and i remember standing there every day and like what are we doing we are way out of our <laughs> lane on this this is not what god has asked us to no, do i don't what is going to come of this thing and every day you just saw how this bridge was starting to be created and formed and even the metaphorical bridge of the community relationships were starting to get stronger and stronger And part of what we did with the team, while there were some of them that were working on that bridge, we did VBS for the kids. Mm -hmm. And I always thought at that point in time that like VBS is a good activity, but it's more of just like a time filler, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, well, if you do it or not, it doesn't really matter. I mean, there are children that are going to enjoy the time and hear about Jesus and all of that's super valid, but there's probably better things we could do with our time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we'll do VBS. We did VBS three days in a row and the very last day the bridge was finished and they had laid all of the concrete and I wanted to go up to the bridge to take a picture of it because I had been taking a picture every day so that we could see the progress and know what had been accomplished and I remember there was a, an older lady that was standing on, like close to the bridge. She wasn't standing on the bridge, but close to it. And I went up and talked to her and she came down to talk to me and she said, are you with that group? Obviously, I stand out just a little bit, right? <laughs> like my skin is, is pretty white compared to the Guatemalan population that we were with. And I said, yes, I'm, I'm a part of that group. And she said, can I tell you a quick story? And I said, of course. And she said, thank you so much for coming to our community this week. And I said, well, of course, you know, just kind of the quick, of course we would come And And she said, we have been living without this footbridge for almost three to four months after this hurricane has happened, after the landslide has happened because the government won't send anybody. Hmm. She said, but the Church of the Nazarene sent people. She said, and that's really important to me. And as she, she turned me around, and she said, if you look up on that mountainside, and she got tears in her eyes the way that mine are. She said, if you look on that mountainside, you'll see that there used to be a house that existed there that when the mudslide fell down, I lost most of my family. My mm-hmm. family is part of the ones that were lost. She said, and now I've got grandchildren that are living with me. And she said, you bringing VBS to this place is the first time I've seen them smile oh. in three or four months. And she said, we are so grateful for what you have done for bringing the church of the Nazarene. She continued to say, she didn't really know what that meant. She just knew we were the church of the Nazarene. Mm -hmm. And she brought me over to the bridge and she said, you will always be remembered in this place. And she showed me that somebody, I don't know who did it, but in that concrete, when they laid the last level of concrete on that footbridge, they had written Puente Nazareno in it, which means Uh the Nazarene bridge. And I just thought, Lord, you are so good to use your church and be in a place. We were in a literal place that we're like, we are way far outside of our comfort zone. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to do grief and counseling care. (laughs) All we're doing is bringing some clowns, some candy, and some
1: hard workers.
2: workers." (laughs) But God took all of that and just the testimony of that elderly woman that said, thank you for coming in so many different ways, that last moment that God allowed me to experience his grace once again of being like a tool that he was able to use in order to bring hope to a community that really felt hopeless at that point in time. It encouraged me. It was very early in our missionary career, Mm -hmm. and I still look back on it as a moment where God confirmed my call to mission again, Mm -hmm. even after I'd said yes, even after I was on the mission field, he said, once again, you're in the right place. You're at the right time and continue to be the person that I've asked you to be, and I will do the work through you. So I, I love thinking about that story, and sometimes I wish I could go back there and Ooh. see see what that community's like. We haven't been back in 20 years, but I know that the Church of the Nazarene is still there, and I know that the the pastor left a thriving congregation there. So I know the Church of the Nazarene is functioning in San Marcos, Guatemala.
1: If I had to identify a common denominator in the three stories, I'm going to just throw out my weird story. (laughs) Um, If I had to kind of think of a theme, it would be that when we say yes to God and put ourselves in places of need, places of ministry, that he will manifest himself, that he will do miracles, that he will protect, Mm -hmm. Yes. right? Dario, he will heal, Mm -hmm. Uh, right, Natalie? And uh, he will change even communities, entire communities, Emily. This is the God we serve. And sometimes this story time is is funny. And sometimes it's, we almost always end saying all glory be to God, because this is amazing what he is doing. So Emily, if other people would like to comment or share anything that that these stories brought up, uh, where can they do that?
2: Yeah, if you want to say, thank the Lord Dario is still a part of this podcast, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> leave us a message on our Facebook page, The Worthless Servants Podcast. You can also listen to other episodes that we've recorded on mesoamericagenesis.org under the podcast tab.
1: Yes, and thank you all. Uh, we are The Worthless Servants. I am Scott Armstrong.
0: I'm Dario Richards.
1: I'm
2: Nara Franco, And I'm Emily Armstrong.
1: And we will talk with you next time.
0: For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.